On this episode of The Poolside Genius, we take a look at the Manny Machado trade fallout. Where did those teams that missed out turn next? And is it worth making a deal for a deal's sake? Also, we look at the Kawhi trade analysis. Um, take a look at how does this affect uh, Berks County's own Lonnie Walker? You know, Does Kawhi stay in Canada? And why didn't the Lakers or Sixers make a move? Lastly, we also look at the Fultz, whether he's a folly as a draft pick or not. Will he get a shot back? Remo, as always, is very optimistic. Then we talk NFL, Le'Veon Bell, the running back positional values, Rams extensions, and whether that's going to bring trouble for Goff, Gurley, and Donald. All right, enjoy the show. This is Poolside Genius, where we always make a splash. Bender, can you guess what I watched last night? <laughs> what did you watch last night? Let's see. I mean, I could go any number of places. Uh, I definitely think that it could have been, was it SpongeBob SquarePants? Come on now, easy. Seriously, though, I watched, I actually sat myself down, 8 o'clock, turned on Joe Buck, and I watched the baseball all-star game. You get all the way through it. You fall wait, asleep. You now, fall, you uh, fell asleep, didn't you? Now hold on. I know you're sitting there. You're saying to yourself, "Wait a second. This this is the guy that said the All Star Game is unwatchable, and it certainly is." But I'll tell you why I turned. But I yet you in. watched it. It was it was just like that uh, that wreck that you have to you know look at when you go by. Now hold on a second. I tuned in for one big reason, and that reason is the Millville Meteor, Mike Trout. Oh, God, please tell me you're not going to go into your whole no, long reasoning no. of why he's going to get traded to the Phillies at some point. No, he's going to uh, come home eventually. He'll come home. But listen, if being a Philly fan, I don't get to see Trout very often. So I said to myself, I got to sit down. I want to see what happens. So I'm sitting there first inning. Um, I sat there. Max Scherzer's on the, the mound. You could tell he was lights out. He was all lathered up. Pitching in front of his home crowd. He gave up a home run. Now, hold on a second. First batter, and he was throwing seeds. He gets Mookie Betts looking. Then he strikes out Altuve. Up comes Trout, and I'm thinking to myself, all right, let's see what happens. Right away, he gets into a, a, a one-two count. Fans are starting to stand up. They're, they're, they're expecting that third strikeout, striking, striking out the side. Trout, good for him, gets it back to a, a full count. He did go full count. And then all of a sudden he fouls off. I remember Joe Buck is saying he can expect the slider here, 3-2 slider. He threw a 98 going away fastball. Trout actually was laughing because he couldn't believe he actually got his bat around it and he fouled it off. Next pitch was high and inside. He walked, He worked a walk. Trout goes on first. Right? I'm thinking uh, to myself. No, wait, Reams. I'm thinking that I thought, I thought DeGrom was the one that gave up the home run to Trout in the second inning. I'm talking first inning here, Bob. Oh, oh, okay, sorry. Uh, now, bear with me. I thought you were going to tell this amazing story about Mike Trout hitting a home run. And, you know, no, no. Okay. The, the, what I am going to say, and of course everybody hits a home run, and this is the point I'm eventually going to get to, but he's standing on first base. J.D. Martinez steps up. He hits a, a gapper into the, into the left field. Trout goes first to third. And I'm thinking, wow, you rarely see that anymore anymore the only better thing that would have occurred if martinez had taken that to right field and a la chase utley trout would have went home first to home i would have loved to have seen that next, thankfully ne- chase utley is retiring next next batter come on he's fantastic we could go up. morally corrupt <laughs> doesn't play the game the right way 
Oh, so, oh, okay. Tackles because, because he hurt your your ta- little tackled the shortstop in in the pl- oh, in the playoffs. Come on, uh, whatever. He tackled him. You can't tackle him in baseball. Anyway, let's let's stick on point here. Next batter f- fouled out or a little pop up, stranded Trout at third. I got up and I left. I saw what I needed to see. I wanted to see Trout at, in action. Now, okay, I came back fourth inning. Found out score was two to one. Yes, Trout hit a home run. I was, you know, hey, that's the way it goes. And I came back to see, make sure I saw uh, Aaron Nola pitch, which I did. Saw him pitch a, a real good one inning. And I went back to bed or went to bed. The point I'm trying to get to here, it was great to see Trout go first to third. But if – and then I wake up this morning, I find out the results, 8-6, American League win. Everybody's kind of saying, all these talking heads are saying, oh, it was a really – Interesting game that the, the National League tied it up at the bottom of the ninth. Real exciting game. I look a little deeper, and then here's my argument. Half, half of the hits, there was 20 hits, half of them, 10 home runs. So you either it's like do or die here. You, one, you get one extreme or the other. Out of the 33 outs, it went into extra innings. It didn't get the 33 outs. I think it was uh, 31 or 32. There's half of the outs were strikeouts. So to me, looking into this whole little issue of where baseball's going, it's you're starting to get less and less action. Less of those situational baseball uh, situations that force people to, uh, to think the game through, hit maybe hit behind the, the runner, take the extra base. You don't see that very often anymore. Okay, Rims. Now this is where I'm going to cut you off because I think this is, is situational baseball. It's never been more situational than what it's going on right now. The shifts, the strategic uh, pitching matchups. I, I think that this is. I think you have more specialization now. I think that you definitely have with all the shifts. I mean, what more well, strategy? I mean, you have you have Gabe Kapler out there flagging people down and moving them for every single pitch. I, I well, and, maybe and not Gabe Kapler, but one of his coaches. So how is that less strategic? I I don't see the I don't see that. In that regards, and there there's a bunch of talking heads. Trout was even saying, "Let's get rid of the shifts." But nothing's changing in the way the hitters approach hitting. They're, they're changing their, their swing plane. They're trying to hit everything out of the park. No one's really trying to hit down on the ball anymore. They're tr- they're, I guess when I say situational baseball, from a hitter's perspective, they're just trying to, to bash. They're not trying to go the other way, hit behind a runner. Those type of uh, situations where you're moving a runner or, you're, heck, you're trying to get speed on the base paths, it, it's – it's being minimalized in my reg- in my point of view. I would disagree. I think that there are more athletic players out there than ever. Now, certainly you're not going to see a 100 steel uh, you know, guy again, but I think that there's a great deal of athleticism. I mean, look at the Atlanta Braves. They have tons of athleticism in their team and I think that's one of the reasons why they're kind of resurgent this year. And I don't think that's the case. I mean, certainly you have some instances like with the Mets with Don Brown where he should have been bunting, but they said, well, he hasn't bunted in the minor leagues. And, you know, certainly some of the techniques and fundamentals have gone away in that regard. But I don't think that athleticism is not a premium. I think that, you, yeah, everybody hits home runs now. So I think that athleticism is even more valued because 
now you need athletes, something that differentiates it from the other guys that are hitting 30 home runs with about a 220 average and, you know, maybe a 340 on base. There's going to be athletes. Of course, there's more and more athletes. I'm, I'm not saying you're not going to see all these web gems, defensive abilities. What I'm pointing out, though, is everyone is now changing that swing plane. They're, they're looking for the home run or nothing. I mean, it's even worse than Earl Weaver, Earl Weaver saying, let's get two men on base and wait for the three-run homer. It's not even three-run homers anymore. It's just looking to just hit anything out of the park almost in every situation. That's my argument. If, if you're trying to watch the game, I think if you turn the TV on, it's getting harder and harder. I can see going to the, to the park, you're there with friends, it's a night out, whatever the case might be. If you have it on the radio, you're out on the back patio, it's, it's still the great game. But to me, I don't know how you can be engaged pitch by pitch, watching it on TV, and think that, you know, it's something that's watchable. I mean, I think it's still engaging when you see these power pitchers just striking people out. You see Noah Syndergaard and, and guys like that throwing 98-99 in the eighth inning, I th the seventh inning. I think that's engaging. I, I think certainly you're still getting that. I mean, now our guys playing the, the game differently. Absolutely. People felt this way when Babe Ruth came in and he was cranking out home runs because it hadn't really been done before. So I think it's really just the evolution of the game and the game's changing. I mean, got the players see, hey, man, I can make a lot more money if I hit home runs. So I'm what's going to happen? I'm going to hit home runs. Uh, pitchers are going to aim more for strikeouts because guess what? They make more money and it sells. I mean, the home run derby, people tune into that, even though it's little more than fun batting practice. And they do it because guess what? They want to see home runs. They want to see people do these great feats. I mean, everybody wants to go see John Daly on the on the tee and see him just hit shot after shot, even though he's, eh, to say the least, as a golfer. I, I think that people will always be drawn to that. I mean, you, you're still drawn to the players in the NFL, you know, and again, I think it's the game's changing and we're trying to minimize the vicious hits, but people still love the Brian Dawkins hits. You know, people still love... Those types of plays. Now he's retired, obviously, but you know people still watch those hits. People still watch those vicious hits that John Lynch would have, uh, you know, put out there. Troy Palomalu, all those guys. And I don't see the desire for that going away. I think it's still the same thing. The the velocity, the exit velocity. People just stare in amazement at home runs, and I think that that's going to continue. But the game's changed, and sometimes we have to realize, you know, is it for the better? Maybe not. But it's different, and I think people are still watching the game though. The way I look at if you, I'll go back to your first point, Noah Syndergaard throwing seeds. Well, I think if you're at the game, tracking pitches, the location, how the, the change of speeds, if you're really watching a pitcher, I think you have to be at the game. It might come across at TV, but I don't think you're going to be engaged pitch by pitch in a game that has less and less action, less and less uh, balls in play. Um, I think in, in regards to being, you know, engaged or in watching home runs, well, yeah, everyone, I remember everyone was really into Sammy Sosa and Mark McGuire. And then it, now home runs as a total, I think, across the board has increased. But you're not seeing a lot of guys 
get up towards the 50 and 60 mark. You, we could always argue uh, PEDs have a big have had a big effect. But yes, people are going to to place their money down to go buy a ticket. But I don't think the amount of people, the attendance, from what I have gathered, is going down. At least this year has. And I think Philadelphia is a perfect example. First place team, attendance is down in Philly. Yeah, but, uh, you know, Philly, they're very fair weather. I mean, they, they're not, I, I think now they're finally realizing, hey, we're pretty good. But it's baseball. I think it's more of a societal thing. It's not necessarily the way the game's played. I think it's more society is not about um, sitting there and, you know, for the nine innings and going, you know, forever. They want it to be more fast-paced. Again, I think you get those power moments. You get it more fast-paced. And, again, you're saying there aren't, like, those 70 home runs, 60 home run hitters, and that's a big part of pitching has changed. It's evolved. They're smarter as pitchers. They're going to walk guys. They're going to do a lot of different things so that they don't have that opportunity to burn them. And, you know, with the shift, I, I think there are lots of balls put in play. I think that the shifts have uh, decreased the BABIP, you know, and I think that that's, you know, a big part of it. The shifts have taken away from that. I don't uh, – again, strikeouts are up and people are trying to hit home runs, but I don't, I don't see that as a problem. I think it's more society in general. We want more instant things. I think baseball is just too slow for us. I mean, it's the same thing we talked about golf and modernizing golf. Maybe baseball needs to be modernized. I agree. Pace of play. I think there's something that has to be uh, at least looked at, and they are looking at it. I'm not sure what the remedy is to that, um, but we'll have to see. Before football starts up and starts dominating the scene, we have to look at a few trades that just happened or are about to happen. And we are looking at first Manny Machado. Again, you know, we're both on the record of saying the Phils should not do it, although some people have changed their mind and flip-flop a little bit on that. But, um, you know, we're looking at it as though, you know, they did the right thing by not offering up Sixto Sanchez, right? Yep. Yep. Sixto Sanchez and, you know, doing that deal because, again, he's a rental. And if anybody thinks that Manny Machado is not going to hit the open market and he's just going to sign a deal before he hits free agency, they are insane. Well, keep in mind, and as we said, it's interesting I would uh, mentioned the Dodgers were going to be that team that the Phils would have to worry about. The Dodgers might throw a lot of money at him, and they might just say, hey, the glitz and glamour of L.A., that might get him. I don't know. But the interesting thing, as, and as we're recording here, the, the trade hasn't been totally finalized, even though everyone's been saying uh, it's, this is the day after the All-Star game. So everyone has said that it's, our, it's pretty much the Dodgers player pretty much right now. Um, what they gave up, they decided to put in, I guess, their top, rated outfielder um but in regards to my perspective my perspective of Machado I was I actually changed my mind when I thought should the the Phils have really made an aggressive pitch because looking at this young team getting into the playoffs I think would be a huge step in terms of their experience moving forward and and I mean let's put it this way you get into the playoffs in this National League year where it's pretty much wide open. I wouldn't say there's really a dominant team. Would you agree? 
I agree. I mean, I, th I think that the Dodgers definitely have a lot of talent. Um, obviously, they're going through some injury woes here and there. But I, I do think that, you know, it is wide open, and I think that a lot of teams can make a play here. Um, you know, one thing that I was surprised at is that the Brewers didn't really go all in. I mean, I think they've got a surplus of outfielders. I think they've got a surplus of, uh, you know, prospects, and they really need to make that huge push. I would really have liked to see them. You know, they spent a lot of money. Now go and get that final piece. Get Machado in there, and let's see what he can do. Now you have to wonder where these teams that missed out, like the Phillies, like the Brewers, are going to turn. You know, what, where are they going to look for that improvement? Because I don't know that there's anybody out there that's going to improve their team as much as a superstar like Manny Machado. Oh, you're absolutely right. The, the everyday aspect of putting him in a lineup. And you, you look at the you know, the Dodgers. They certainly could use it, especially with Seager out. I mean, Matt Kemp's having a real nice year. Turner's coming back off of an injury. Um, I think, though, with the Phils, sticking him in the, in the cleanup hole would have been just a, a huge difference moving forward. Um, I just get back to the fact that it, it could be a situation where he never leaves L.A. If they throw a lot of money and they just say, hey, we're going to move Corey Seager to second base, you got the shortstop, it, it could really work out well for the Dodgers moving forward. And for Manny Machado, I mean, think about being in the largest market, uh, you know, being playing that superstar position, you know, shortstop or even third base, you know, depending on what they decide to do with some of their other guys. I mean, I think that um, really it's going to come down to who's going to spend the money on him in the offseason, and that's really where we're going to be at. But, you know, again, the Phils, I, I think that they're, you know, they might look for some relievers. They might do some of that stuff, but like I said, there's not really a huge difference there. I mean, Kingery has been lackluster, I think, this year. Um, they've kind of struggled a little bit. And really, I don't know where you go from here, Reams. In terms of offense, you're right. There, there's nobody that's going to – that you're going to step in there. I mean, they've talked about um, a couple third basemen that might add some pop. But then what do you do with Franco? And the shortstop is really the questionable – Point, offensively speaking, you bring Crawford back. Is he really going to be able to, to increase his offensive load? I, I'm, I'm really skeptical. Well, Franco, I, I wouldn't be holding back on getting anybody because of Franco. Franco's, well, I mean, he, you know, he had that promising rookie campaign, and then he's just kind of fallen off a cliff. And is, you know, he might go the way of Don Brown. Uh, listen, I, I've been kind of down on Franco. He has in the last month pretty much mirrored. Manny Machado in terms of in terms of numbers, he's got he's he's just recently got a pretty hot bat. Is that going to be sustained? No, probably not. I agree with you there. However, um, you're you're just pretty much grasping at straws now, offensively speaking. You're right though; they got to go in and shore up some bullpen uh, bullpen help. I think there's plenty out there. There's a couple different teams, whether it's the Padres or the Mets. There's going to be some bullpen arms out there. Um, you hear the name Hap, J.A. Hap, and, oh. and Cole Hamels for starting oh. pitchers. I, stop, stop. I, Don't even mention those names. Those guys are awful. Names. I, like, seriously, you might as well just roll with what you have. I mean, Hamels is just getting shelled day after day. Get the sentimental uh, aspect I, out of it. I agree with you. We've talked about it before. I'm just and, telling you where they might just go. I don't know. Beyond the, the bullpen. I don't, you know, if you if you feel like, hey, we got to do something just for the sake of making a move, 
that would be something they would, could fall into. I think that would be a mistake. I'm just trying to say you don't that make, might be an option. You, you don't make a move just for the sake of making a move. It, it, uh, come on, I'm tired of hearing about, well, we need to know the front office was behind us. You know, you hear it every trade deadline. It's like, yeah, no, they're going to play well or they're going to play poorly because of their ability, because of their talent. It has nothing to do with, well, the front office believed in us, so now we well, made a trade. Oh. Yeah, but I'm going to argue with you that, you know, if you bring in somebody that is filled with stature and uh, granted okay we just said Machado's probably but, off the no, board no 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 we're, we're to- you're talking about doing a deal just to do a deal <clears throat> not bring in a guy like Machado i mean you're you're talking about like uh, you know a random reliever okay great ja hap's been is an all-star this year isn't he doesn't he have an era over 4 not sure. Uh, yes, he does. Yes, okay. he does. Well, I mean, oh, Cole, bad Cole, team, Cole Hamels uh, had an ERA under four like 10 years ago. You know, <laughs> I mean, you're not going to get that back. I, I I, just think you have to aim a little bit higher if you're looking at a starter or a difference maker. I mean, really, these people are going to, these teams are going to want good players, and I just don't see making a deal for a deal's sake. You know, again, they're ahead of where they should be. You know, they, again, we keep going over the same points that we've made before. Just just ride the wave and see where you get, and then retool in the offseason. Take a shot at Machado. If you if the Phils don't get into the playoffs, though, wasted opportunity. I mean, you think back to 2008. They win it all. Well, I'm, my argument is they, 2008 never occurs if they don't get in 2007 and get that, that experience of, you know, getting tripped up in the NLCS or the divisional series, I should say, having that experience for a building team, I think is important. I think experience is overrated. I always go with the best players. Go with the best, the most talented. I mean, geez, you could have one player that can put your team on, on his back. I mean, look at Beltron when he was with the Astros that one year. I mean, he literally willed them to the World Series. Yes, but they had already had the experience. It wasn't their first year in the playoffs. They needed somebody like that. So the Marlins, though, all those years that they go and they rebuild, they do a fire sale. You know, they didn't a year that they won with Dontrell Willis. It wasn't like they had the experience and they had all these. They had great, talented players. I mean, they had you know a career year out of Dontrell Willis who fell off the face of the earth afterwards. They had a young Miguel Cabrera, their best player. I mean, they they had a lot of talent. That's what won. It wasn't well. Geez, we've got experience. Talent wins. Talent plays. All right, so now we move into the basketball portion of our segment. You know, we're talking about trades, and here we are. Kawhi Leonard, another great defensive player, akin to Manny Machado, a great defensive player, uh, is getting traded two-time All-NBA Defensive Player of the Year. Um, Big thing here, it's going from Spurs to the Raptors. What do you have to say here, Reams? Well, with the Raptors, I mean, this came out out of nowhere. Obviously... The interesting thing is from the Spurs' perspective, and I think a lot of people tend to forget that the Spurs hold the, the actual decision-making in this situation. They were looking for the best the best deal, and if the Raptors come up and include DeMar DeRozan, it's almost, from the Spurs' perspective, close to a no-brainer in regards to, you know, they've lost the edge of holding on to Kawhi. Everyone knows they're, they're going to get rid of him. So getting the value of a, of a all-star player of DeRozan is next to miraculous. Um, 
in regards from the Spurs perspective, you put DeRozan playing pick and roll off of uh, Aldridge. I think that's a really nice uh, fit. I think it's going to be um, a player that they can obviously grow with. They're going to they have a Demonte uh, Murray as the point guard. So, so it's a really nice move from the Spurs perspective. And who knows what what else is involved if it's a, another young player and a couple picks we don't know for sure yet so continuing on the spurs perspective uh reading native uh, you know berks county zone uh lonnie walker just got drafted to the spurs how does it does this impact him any in any way shape or form the way i look at it is DeRozan's more of a two a two guard i think it's going to help lonnie to to develop from the wing I think it's not going to take many minutes away from Lonnie, if that's what you're kind of alluding to. I think it allows him to step in, and he had a really nice uh, Las Vegas summer league. He, he's done some real nice things from what uh, was seen. I think Lonnie's going to be a perfect – he's in a perfect spot going to the Spurs from the stability of that franchise. He's the type of kid who's who's smart, who's going to be uh, well-rounded, he, and his game's going to develop – coming from the Spurs. I think he's he's a, a player that's going to be able to play off of DeRozan. He can be out on the wing and then be able to still create off of uh, DeRozan's game. There are already reports that uh, Kawhi is not thrilled with going to Canada, with going to the Raptors. Why do you think that is? I mean, are there basketball-related reasons for that? Or, you know, is it just, hey, I don't want to be in Canada? Or, you know, what's the deal there? I think it's really, uh, from the team perspective, uh, from the talent perspective, yeah, they've had a, a, a nice couple runs. They have a, a few n- young players Depends on if Agdonabi comes back in that trade also. Um, he's a, a young, developing big man. Um, I think he was rumored to be a part of that deal and obviously the picks. But from uh, Kawhi's perspective, I would think Toronto would be one of the last places he would uh, want to go to. I mean, yeah, you got uh, oh, the kid from Philly. Uh, Joel Embiid. Yeah. Well, here's the thing. Compared to the Sixers. Ben Simmons? No, Kyle Lowry is the name I'm thinking. But compared to the Sixers, you got the opportunity to to go with Simmons and Embiid. Uh, He's got the relationship with Brett Brown. I would have thought that was a potential where he could look to possibly sign long-term. Going to the Raptors, this is, to me, a one-year-and-done. He's either going to end up going to the Lakers or if somebody really gets into his ear, maybe it's the Sixers, hopefully from my perspective. I think it's a one-done deal. I mean, he's going to be matched up with a, a, an aging Kyle Lowry. Um, Lowry's been, uh, in the past few years, dealing with some nagging injuries. I don't think this is a team that's in the long haul going to be there for Kawhi. It just it, They don't match up in terms of moving forward, especially if they have to put some, some picks into this trade. To me, it's uh, – it, let's put it this way. You're looking at a, at a team that has been in the wake of LeBron for many years, and, and they've been kind of uh, up and down in terms of the front office. I mean, this is a team that fired the coach of the year, Dwayne Casey. If I'm a player, I'm looking at this situation as it's certainly unsettled. So if, and again, Kawhi's a great player. Obviously, he had some 
clashes with uh, Pop and everybody in San Antonio kind of wanted his way out of there. Why didn't the Lakers or the Sixers or any of these other teams step up for him and try and make a comparable deal? I think the Lakers certainly did not want to uh, give up certain players, certain young players, certain draft picks. The, the Lakers haven't had uh, their; they didn't have their first round pick this year. Um, I, I think moving forward, if you're in the Lakers' shoes, you, you're sitting back saying, "We're going to eventually get him as a free agent." Sixers' perspective, I think they put a they put a a deal out there. I think it, from what everybody was saying, it was centered around Dario Saric, Covington, and uh, a few picks. Obviously, the 2021 unprotected Miami pick was a big part of it. I think the Spurs really were holding it up because they were possibly looking at faults. I, I think that was a sticking point. Some people say they were looking for him. I kind of wonder how he would fit with De- De- DeJounte Murray. Uh, they're very similar in terms of the, having the ball in their hands. Um, the Sixers, in their perspective, didn't want to give up faults, and I think that's going to work out into the uh, in the Sixers' favor in the long run. I mean, you're talking about a guy who has who can't the, shoot, just uh, like Ben Simmons. Okay, let's wait a second. That's not true. Fultz had he was shooting forty percent three he had to as a, as and a work college on his shot. Yes, he's Who's redoing bad? it. He's redoing it. I think if you start over. He's going to be able to build it back up. He had the ability. I think a lot of it's mental. I think he's going to come back much a much different player. Here's the deal. Maybe as the yips. I, here's here's the deal. Rickan Kiel couldn't come back from it. You don't. You Neither can't. Could you can't teach the type of ball skills that Fultz has. The ability to break people down. You don't teach that. Who is going to shoot for them? Okay, you got JJ Redick. You got a shooter there. Covington, standstill shooter. Okay, yeah. I'm telling you, Fultz is going to come back. My prediction, I think he's going to come back with a shot. I think he's going to be able to break people down off the dribble. I think his shot will be a lot better. I think it will be a very big change that Sixers fans are all just saying, hey, this ain't happening. I think you're going to see a much different player. So the Sixers are just planning on standing pat and hoping that Markel Fultz gets better and all their players get better. Well, here's they're a, not really making a, any moves. There's a reason why they didn't put him into that trade. You don't think Joel Embiid, who's been working out with him, with Drew Hanlon, probably has been saying, hey, you know, he's, he's doing pretty darn good. There's a reason why the Sixers didn't put him in because they know you, you put Fultz in that trade – you're going to regret it. There's no doubt in my mind. Do they regret drafting Fultz? Uh, well, the answer to me is no. I, and, of course, they're going to say that. They're, they're, they're not going to regret it. I think the only part of it is if you compare it to, obviously, Jason Tatum. Uh, obviously, right now, you certainly would say, geez, how the heck did you do that? Why would you not draft Jason Tatum? Well, he certainly wasn't looking – that way in Duke, I mean, he was kind of he was coming off an injury, his one year at Duke, um, some nagging knee problems, I believe. He's really just blossomed, and I mean, once and again, Fultz has kind of gone in the opposite direction. Jason, uh, Jason Tatum is a Drew Hanlon disciple. He worked with Drew. Well, Fultz is working with Drew. I'm going to tell you, you got to give the kid a chance. Can they compete with the Celtics? 
Well, they still they have a uh, they still have a move to make. Uh, they just lost the uh, European kid that was going to be an, another outside shooter. So there's a they have the uh, 3.5 veteran uh, maximum still to be able to use. Um, Chan, uh, Wilson Chandler helps on the wing to match up defensively, which is essentially what you got to do. It comes down to faults and their first first round pick Smith being able to guard both on the perimeter up front or up top and on, on the wing. What do you think uh, Jared Colangelo's burner phone is uh, saying right now about the about their non Kawhi trade? Would Jared Colangelo's burner well, make the, this trade? Well, that burner, that, first off, that burner account was his wife, so she's probably saying... Allegedly. Well, she's probably saying, please don't divorce me since I ruined your career. I well, highly doubt that she did that. Well, okay. Well, you know... I think Colangelo probably would be saying, you know, he was probably of the mindset that he, they were going for the big fish, whether it was LeBron or, or Kawhi. So not getting them is certainly a disappointment. The nice thing is you still got next year that you got to look forward to in terms of cap space and making a splash. Is it bad that Daryl Morey refused to go to the Sixers? I mean, they... They wooed him, they tried to get him, and he said, no, nah, I'm good. I think it uh, shows that the Sixers got guts to go after him. But, you know, this is the guy that is so similar to Hinky. So, once again, why get rid of Hinky? Well, you know, obviously the, there was a lot of pressure. It, it just goes to show you that analytics, and Daryl Morey is a huge analytics. He's the guy that came in and has brought analytics into the NBA. Never played. Everybody uh, really gave him a, lot, a real hard time for that aspect. Criticized him for not being a player. But his analytics have shown, and through time, that he has the ability to build a team. Much like Hinky. I mean, let's put it this well, way. No, wait, well, no. Hinky tore down a team. He tore apart a team. He did not rebuild the team, really. Well, I mean, he, didn't he, get, he didn't have the he, chance. He swung and missed how many times? I mean, oh, swung, no, he's well, oh. Here's the thing. What I'm going to tell you. Oh, every, every, oh. Everybody swings and misses. It's all a matter of how many swings do you get. And and Hinky was smart enough to get enough swings, to, to tear it down in order to accumulate enough swings. Enough swings at the draft, you're going to find a Joel Embiid. Yeah, you might come up with an Okafor. That doesn't fit. I get it. Nerlens. But well, Nerlens would have been a serviceable player. But he, is, he an, is he a superstar? Absolutely not. But you've got to have enough swings. If you don't have enough swings, you're never going to find the high-end talent, the all-stars, the superstars that you need in the NBA. Well, I mean, Draymond Green was, what, a second-round pick? Maybe you just need to draft smarter. Same old argument. You need more swings. It's the bottom line. Draymond's a terrific player. He certainly fits in the way that team plays. I, I love Draymond. He's certainly a great player. You're going to find some of those gems, but it's very rare. It, you know, out of 30 second-round picks, five might might turn out to be something really good. One out of how many years when it's Draymond Green turns out to be that superstar? You, you have to have more swings. And they had swings, and we'll see if it actually turns out that those swings are fruitful. I mean, maybe it's more 
of the strikeout swing. You know, like we talked about with baseball, where you know they're trying to hit a home run and they're just striking How, out. Where where did they strike out? I mean, let's put it this way: you come up with Dario Saric, which they had no chance of getting unless they make those those moves. Serviceable player, a real good all-around player. Simmons and Bede, obviously. I'm telling you, Fultz is going to turn out to be pretty, pretty good. And you know, you got to give Smith a chance. We'll see. We will, won't we? And we're back to everybody's favorite topic, the NFL. All right, Le'Veon Bell, he had, I believe, uh, was offered a $70 million deal over five years, and he turns it down. I completely agree with this. I think that he needs to hold out. He needs to wait for the right deal. Wait a second. You're talking about a running back, and and you're, you're telling me he should have turned that down? Reams, I think you're being a little simplistic here. He's not just a running back. He is so much more than a running back. I mean, he makes your whole offense go. He is a running back. He's a receiver. He does it all. You can't just use these simplistic running back, tight end sort of thing. Gronk, you know, it's, it's the same sort of thing. Gronk deserved to be paid more because he's one of the best offensive weapons in the game. It's the same sort of thing. Oh, well, but he, he lines up a tight end. Who cares? The production is there. The value to the Steelers, if they don't have Le'Veon Bell... Antonio Brown isn't as good. Big Ben isn't as good. Their whole thing kind of goes down quite a bit. I think you have to invest in a playmaker like Le'Veon Bell. Wow, you really came full full blaze here. How many years again? Seven? What? Where was... Um, no, 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 just no, no, answer no. my question. He's not going, he wouldn't get seven. He's not going to get all seven years. I mean, I bet you it's backloaded. Most of that's fluff at the end to make it look like it's a better deal than it actually is. Oh, okay, but here's the deal. He's 26 right now, okay? You get a seven-year deal, backloaded or not, as a running back who's 26, once you hit that 30-year age limit, they fall off the cliff. I'm going to say to you, he turns that deal down. Who's going to step up and give him the same similar deal for a running back? Listen, I'm not going to disagree with you. His talent, he's probably the number one running back in the league for all of the versatility he brings. Absolutely. I just think this is a situation where his talent, his viewpoint on his talent, does not match reality of what that position, the value of that position really means. Well, Rims, he's trying to trailblaze. He's trying to get things equaled out. Is it fair that Saquon Barkley, who has never played a down in the NFL, is getting paid more money than he is? Is that is that really the way this works? I mean, the guy is, again, one of the best offensive players in football. Is it really a, a world where Ryan Tannehill, Andy Dalton make more money than him? Is that the way it really should well, be? Well, careful what you're saying. You're talking about the quarterback position. It's by far totally different than the running back. It I, just I get it. Is. I understand that. But at the same time, he needs to reset the market. I mean, running backs are now getting drafted in the first round again. And I think that's a lot in large part because they are able to carry the ball. They're blocking. They are catching the football more than they ever have before. And I think that that value is there. They, they make the offense go in a lot of ways. And granted, obviously, it's not the quarterback position and you have to pay a premium. But I mean, think about it. There are worse ways to invest your money than, you know, doing a shorter-term deal with a higher average value for a guy like Le'Veon Bell. Well, turn this, and you, you know, you bring into the quarterback situation, we can easily set that aside. Look at Bra- Braden Cooks, a wide receiver, all of a sudden 
gets picked up, gets traded, I'm sorry, to the Rams. The Rams obviously want to hold on to him. They see something in, the, in him that both Belichick and Peyton from the Saints don't necessarily well, well, see. They, they, they saw it at one time, well, but you know, obviously the, he seems to disappoint. And here's why that's so foolish. But he got more money than... than uh, Mr. Running Back, we're talking about. So, here. so do you? If can you honestly sit there and tell me that Brandon Cooks or even Sammy Watkins, either of those two players, will ever be worth more to their team's offense than Le'Veon Bell is? No, or has I, 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 no, I, I can't sit sit here and say that. I totally agree with you there. But the point I'm trying to make is, if you, you try and create or build a team. Through the through a very hard cap, which the NFL has, you have to be able. You, it, Cap's an excuse. I mean, look at the oh, the Eagles are like thirty million over the cap, and then all of a sudden they're you know back underneath the cap. Teams can manipulate the cap. But but what I'm going to tell you is, I the smart teams allocate certain amount of money per position. Now let me ask you something. And, I mean, and, the, and but here's the thing, it's not necessarily comparing Brandon Cooks' talent to Le'Veon Bell's talent. It's comparing the value you put into that position from a money standpoint for, to, a, to the other position. Well, so the, the, the receiver positions obviously go to be you, valued if differently. If you have one of the best players at a certain position, I think you also have to look at that a little bit differently. I mean, I think that you know when you start to see a guy like Kyle Shanahan paying pretty big money to a guy like Jerick McKinnon, I think that that shows that the running back position is pretty important. I mean, you know, Shanahan, you know, him and the him and his dad have a reputation for turning in third, fourth, fifth round picks into stud running backs, and yet he's investing big money in it. So that uh, that tells you that that it's important. I mean, and he views them not as just the guy that's lining up in the backfield behind the fullback that's getting that's carrying the ball. He views them as this movable chess piece. I mean, and he's invested quite a bit of money in a guy like Kyle Juszczyk as the fullback, you know, which no one invests in. You, you He's say invested a, a lot of money. A lot of money. McKinnon. Okay. McKinnon, how many years? To well, again, again, they can get out of it, you know, after a couple of years because they, it's all about the structure and the structure is what's important. And the NFL players, a lot of times, you know, they want, or the agents, they want to make it look like, Hey, they got so much money, but really those are in those last three years that nobody's ever going to see. You know, and if they do, they're going to be vastly underpaid. That's why the players need to take shorter deals, and then they can kind of keep going back to the pie and get it more guaranteed. And that's the issue that keeps happening. I mean, we can look at this from two different ways in terms of how you build Team A compared to Team B. Or the other part of the argument we could bring, and you've kind of alluded to it, is you look at the NFL PA. You know, we're talking about a sport that doesn't have guaranteed contracts, whereas all these other teams or all these other sports do. Now, granted, I understand with the with the injury perspective, you can't have the, those guaranteed contracts, but that's a huge issue in terms of what you're saying in terms of how you can get out of these out of these deals. It's because they aren't guaranteed. But they could be. the The CBA doesn't say that they can't be guaranteed. It's that the agents. It's it's not so. The agents are kind of. Well, it's in the best interest of the players. The agents also want to make that money number look really high so that they can get other free agents. And that's Instead, where the, sign, it's the signing bonus. And, well, not that, necessarily signing bonus, but when you see that total number, certainly the signing bonus, bonus is the most important part, but that they want that huge eight-year, you know, $130 million deal. So you see that total number, but really they never make it. 
that far. And I think if the agents really cared about their players, they would look to three to four year deals fully guaranteed or as close to fully guaranteed as possible. Now, would the NFL teams resist that as much as possible? Maybe, but if you're a quarterback, you can certainly get that to happen. So let's circle back to Le'Veon Bell. Is he getting bad advice? Is he getting bad advice? I don't think, I, I think he's taking a stand. He's, he's trying to get the running back position valued appropriately, and he feels like if he takes a lesser deal than, he, than it really should be, then he's going to let the running back position down and guys are going to suffer because of it. And I think that, you know, again, you look at that seven years, you know, the structure is really important. And I'm not going to pretend to be, uh, you know, Andrew Brandt or one of those cap guys, but I'm going to guarantee you that he wasn't going to make that much money, you know, compared to the 70 million that they said. Now, actually, I want to flip something here. You know, if you are going back to your idea about the Rams, you know, and Brandon Cooks getting paid a boatload of money, Sue got a boatload of money. If you're Aaron Donald or even Todd Gurley or even Jared Goff, if you're one of those three players, aren't you kind of upset right now that Brandon Cooks, of all people, got a ton of money? I think, I think Aaron Donald has to be livid. I think, and you're going to probably see his viewpoint expressed in in the camp coming up. You would probably expect him maybe to hold out. I'm not sure. But I mean, he certainly should be he, upset. He held out of games last year. I think he'll definitely hold out of games. I mean, I would, you know, withhold your services until they have to make a move. I mean, that defense is very different without Aaron Donald. I mean, he's, again, the most disruptive player in the NFL. But, you know, I it's mind-boggling that, you know, you look at certain teams – who have been very successful recently. They, they stick their money where it matters, in the trenches, on both sides. And how you cannot, and now granted, okay, you could argue with me that, yeah, we gave Sue this big money. We're putting money into the D-line. Well, how can you not pay Aaron Donald? I mean, he was the defensive player of the year last year. Yeah, and I, well, the thing is, I think the Rams, they're going to have a lot of choices to make. I mean, if they don't win a Super Bowl in the next couple of years, I mean, you, you see Goff's going to need a new deal. Gurley, you know, certainly I think is a player that I've, you know, I bashed before this season significantly on his lack of vision, and it just seemed like he was running without a plan, but he was tremendous. And again, he shows you the value of a guy that can catch the football. He made great plays. I mean, you're also looking at Marcus Peters, the cornerback from uh, the Chiefs that they traded for. They're going to have to sign him to a big deal. Uh, Tlaib, you know, again, he's kind of on the downside of his career. LaMarcus Joyner, they have a lot of guys they have to pay. They're, they're, making, they're obviously making this run with the new stadium in the, coming up in the next couple of years, the whole L.A. market. they, they got to make that splash. They, they had a really nice year last year. I think they were kind of surprised they lost that playoff game to the, to the Falcons. I, I just think they're making all these splash signings, forgetting about their meat and potato guy. It's really, really surprising. Uh, yeah, I, I it just everybody else is sitting here like shaking their heads, like, "Well, what are you doing?" Uh, and I, I don't understand why they are making that move on Aaron Donald again. Running backs, you can debate that, you know, day and night. But again, I think that if you're willing to pay a, a receiver, you gotta pay the running back. That's really opening things up. And you know, if you take Todd Gurley out, Rams offense would be. It would not be nearly as good. It also, on that same note, look at the Cowboys last year without Ezekiel Elliott for those games. You know, you can definitely see a difference of what he brings compared to Alfred Morris. Even though Alfred Morris 
and some of those other guys had some decent numbers. It just isn't the same. He doesn't scare a defensive coordinator as much as the wonderful Ezekiel Elliott in terms of player. So I'm not going to bite on this. I realize what you're trying to bring me back to Le'Veon Bell. Let's think about Le'Veon Bell for a second. Why is he not? Why are the Steelers not giving him that big, big money? I mean, would you say this is probably his last year as a Steeler? Because I mean, you got Big Ben, you got uh, Antonio Brown. You're you're paying them big money. Where do you see this really going with Le'Veon? Well, I I think you know at some point he's going to be gone. I mean, obviously, because they're just trying to string it out, string it out, string it out. They'll probably use him up. They'll probably give him, you know, a boatload of touches this year. And then they'll say, okay, go find a deal. He, people will look at it, the amount of touches he's had and say, well, oh, we, you know, we don't know that we can pay that with the amount of touches he's had. And, you know, again, it, the only person that, you know, doesn't win here would be Le'Veon Bell. I mean, he, gets, he gets kind of shafted there. He has had some nagging injuries off and on through his career. I think that's something you have to keep in mind. It's if you saying them they're going to give all these these handoffs to or all these touches to Le'Veon Bell kind of gets me thinking about the Eagles too. They're going to do the same thing with JHI, probably run him into the ground and not re-sign him. So it, to me the running back position is feast or famine. And you're really looking to just get as much as you can out of them and then move on to the next one. Oh, you did not just mention Jay Ajay in the same sentence as Le'Veon Bell. Jay Ajay, No, what I'm saying is they're... they're, Plus, he's got got bad knees. The the point I'm trying to make is they're both on their last year of their contract. Both teams probably will not re-sign them because they are approaching that situation where, you know, you have to weigh how many years you're going to sign them for and for how much money compared to what their production will be as they approach 30. They're both in the same boat. I'm not saying they're the same player. I get it. Le'Veon Bell's better than J.H.I. Absolutely. Much more versatile. Probably a little bit more explosive. But the point I'm trying to make is they're both going to be used up, grounded into the dirt, and then left out to pasture. Yeah, and I still think somebody else is going to pay pay him money eventually, and I think we'll see that it'll be better off that you know this isn't Emmett Smith, you know, on the last legs of his career, you know, going to the Arizona Cardinals. I I see Le'Veon Bell as still as a premier player, and I think that he'll be able to carry that over into the future. I would pay that man yeah. on a short term deal. We'll see. Thanks again for listening to the Poolside Genius Podcast. Don't miss out on spending time poolside, so subscribe using iTunes, Stitcher, or any other major podcast platforms. While you are subscribing, we appreciate any feedback and five-star reviews. Remember, when you're poolside, always dive in the deep end. Splash.